Good morning, family. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. I don't know what your earliest memory of, of Easter, but uh, my earliest memory of Easter is my grandfather teaching me how to say that creed in Russian. He was raised in the Russian Orthodox Church as a boy, and every Sunday he would greet us in the morning by saying, Christos Vaskres, and we would respond, Voyestenes Vaskres. Every Easter, he didn't know what he was doing, but now that I'm an adult, I understand what he was doing. He was discipling me in something really important. He, he, every Easter, I was reminded, and he's going to do it today when I call him, that Christianity does not belong to one nation. Christianity is a global faith. It is a global religion. It's made up of every tribe every language, every nation. And today, family, there are millions of Christians in Nigeria and France and Mexico and Japan and, yes, even in Russia that are confessing the same good news about Jesus. And we need to remember that. We're worshiping with the universal body of Christ. Jesus is risen, and that means beauty is coming for us. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, Follow me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. A prison Savior, we ask that you bless the reading of your word, bless the preaching of your word, and bless the hearing of your word. Feed your lambs. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus is an event that has multifaceted benefits for us. We, we tend to uh, emphasize 
the forgiveness aspect, the forgiveness of our sins. And that is good news. In fact, that is wonderful news. But often we think that that's all the resurrection accomplished. But this story right here in John, it tells us that the resurrection accomplished much, much more than the forgiveness of sin, as great as that is. Now remember, Jesus has already appeared twice to the disciples in the upper room. Remember, he appeared to all of them but Thomas and then appeared again to Thomas. Well, this is the third time he's appeared to them. And so he's already pronounced peace upon the disciples. Remember? Even though they were hiding out like cowards with the doors locked, it said. Resurrected Jesus has already forgiven all of them. And yet that's not the end of the story. There's another chapter here that John records. Isn't that interesting? We find out that Peter's gone back to to doing what he did before he met Jesus. He says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. He's out there fishing with a few of his disciples and resurrected Jesus has some unfinished business uh, with Peter to take care of. We've all done things that we regret. We we studied, we looked at things, we tried our very best, we made the best decision possible, but later we found out we just were flat out wrong. We just did it wrong, we thought wrong about it. And those kinds of easy those kind of failures are, are a little easier for us to recover from over time. Amen? Can the church say amen? But let me ask you this question. What about those times when we knew that something was wrong? We knew that it was wrong. And we did it anyhow. What about those times? We knew it was wrong to think that way or to speak that way or act that way. And we just went ahead and did it anyhow. And what are those times like we did it not once, not twice, but over and over. We've all felt the deep shame that comes with this category of failure. It's a real disintegrating kind of failure. It it breaks apart relationships, does it not? It it makes us want to hide in the shadows, makes us want to stay on the back row when we come in a room instead of opening up to other people because we know if we open up that that might get out. And see, what we see here in Peter is that it is possible for us to truly be forgiven of our failures, but still be fractured by our failures. You understand what I'm saying? It is possible for us to be forgiven of our failures, but still be fractured by them. We are a forgiven person, listen, but we're not a whole person. Something's still broken inside of us. Still something something just kind of goes haywire every once in a while in particular scenarios, and we just can't figure that out. Well, we're going to find out today. We're going to talk about what is that? In God's word, wonderful? And this is where resurrected Jesus finds Peter. And frankly, this is where he finds you and me, all of us, forgiven, but still fractured by our failures. And Jesus wants to leave Peter. And listen, he wants to leave you and I in better shape than he found us. Isn't that good news? Guys, I stopped by to tell you the good news. 
Jesus rose from the dead to restore us to wholeness, even as he has been restored to wholeness. Did you hear what I said? Jesus rose from the dead to restore us to wholeness, even as he has been restored to wholeness. And so today we're going to talk about what does how does restoration begin? What's the beginning of that? And then what does that actually mean for us? Because if that's true, that means something for us. And so we're going to look at each of those pieces together. First of all, restoration begins, it begins with Christ inviting us into a process. That's how it begins. He is inviting you and I into a process. Uh, meet me in verse 9, John 21, verse 9, and then we're going to drop down to verse 12. It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Verse 12 now, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Jesus is always eating meals with people. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Forgiveness of our sins, that's an event. That's an event, that's a thing that happens. Forgiveness, in other words, it is a pronouncement uh, that Christ makes over us when we unite ourselves to him through faith. But restoration, that's a process. It's a process that happens gradually. I want you to know that. I just want to simply point out a few things in the text that actually kind of prove this. It shows that restoration is a process that we start with with him. Look, first of all, look at how Jesus takes time in, in, in restoring Peter. It, the text says that it was the third time that Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection. At Jesus, it just doesn't seem to be in a hurry to heal you and me, does he? He didn't seem to be in a hurry. It didn't seem like this is a rush job. Jesus doesn't put band-aids on bullet holes, guys. You understand? That's good news. He said earlier in John's gospel, what did Jesus say? He said, there is more that I have to tell you, but you cannot bear it right now. Jesus restores us at a pace that we can handle. Isn't that good to know? And that's different for each and every one of you. So you don't need to compare your restoration with someone else's. Because I know your frame. I know your personality. I know what you've been through and what you've been through. And guess what? i got more to tell you, but you can't bear it now. So I'm going to heal you at a rate that you can handle. You see, apparently Jesus was quite comfortable needing to make at least three appearances before this particular conversation took place. Listen, that's the kind of healer you can trust, okay? That's what he wants you and I to know first. 
Right out of the gate. That's what he wants you to know first, okay? Listen, notice also how loving and how warm Jesus' invitation is to uh, Peter and the other disciples. It says that he already had a charcoal fire with fish prepared for them. And bread, too, it says. It's like the feeding of the 5,000, right? Fish and bread. Little callback. Well, he's got all that ready. He's got all that set for them. He's literally gone ahead of them to prepare a place for them, just like he said he would earlier in John, right? It's prepared. I want you to notice there's just such a contrast between this charcoal fire and that last charcoal fire that Peter gathered around. Chapter 18. See, Jesus heals us. He's bringing in all of our senses. Peter's smelling that charcoal fire. He's seeing who he's around and seeing into the eyes of Jesus. This is not, these are no accidental things. Jesus heals us in our body. Why? He was healed in his body. Amen? You need to know this. This fire, that last fire that he was gathered around, that, that, that fire was hostile. The people gathered around that fire with him, they were hostile, right? This fire is hospitable. That's where we get the word hospital. This fi- that fire in chapter 18, that was one of isolation. It was cold. It was dark, right? This fire is one of welcome, and it's one of connectedness. And you can be known here, and I want to know you here. See, Jesus invites them to the warmth of the fire, the warmth of an invitation, the warmth of food and bread and preparations, and it's here, and just come. Come on in. Come on in. Friends, restoration is a gradual process. It is not a one-and-done event. That's why we have to keep going back over things. Because it just takes that kind of time. It takes time. So before, listen, this is how great Jesus is. Before we even set one foot on the shore of restoration, Jesus wants us to be certain right from Jump Street that he will be gentle with our pain. He wants us to know before they step even one foot onto the shore that he's going to be tender with our shame. Yes, Jesus will go deep. He's going to get down in there to the dark spots. But he will go slow. He'll go slow. You know, there's a reason the Bible calls him wonderful counselor. That's what a good counselor does, amen? See, our method, our method for getting over, over failures and getting past failures we made is just try harder. Just try harder, right? But I want you to look, friends, at Jesus. Jesus heals us by inviting us to go slower and, and try softer. Any different? Listen to Jesus. Secondly, restoration means that we need to face our devastation by faith. What's restoration mean when we say that word? It means that we need to face our devastation by faith. We've got to be brave. It's brave work. Okay. Look at verse 17. He said to them, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. It says Peter was grieved. Here's why. 
Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, restoration requires collaboration both with Jesus and with others. This is a work that we do together with Jesus. Jesus asked this penetrating question, Simon, do you love me? And with this question, Jesus is putting his finger right on the shame that is preventing Peter from being whole. And Jesus says, hey, now it's time for us to work through this, Peter. Now's the time we're going to work through this. And by the way, he's doing this with other disciples around. Did you, did you, don't forget that, right? He's doing this in a safe little small group of people with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? You've got to remember, there's six other disciples with him by the fire with Peter. They're listening after they've had breakfast. Jesus says, remember the first time, do you love me more than these? That's how this process starts. As in, more than these disciples that are sitting around you by the fire. Jesus is making a direct reference to the night before his crucifixion where Peter told Jesus that he loved him more than all the other men in the room. And that how, men, isn't that how we tell stories around a fire? It's also a place where we can open up with one another if we choose. And Peter stood up that night and he said, look, I love you, Jesus, and I love you more than him and him and him and all of them. I love you more. I love you more than them. Remember that? If they all become cowards, and if they all turn around and they leave you, Jesus, I will not be a coward, and I will not leave you even if I have to die. Right? I'll die. My devotion, my courage, my love for you, Jesus. See, that's my identity. That's what sets me apart from every other Christian. That's what sets me apart from every other believer. How much I love you. How much I love you. But when the moment came for all of his loud words, Peter found out that he was, he was a coward just like everyone else. He just hadn't found his little weak spot yet. And you all got one. He just hadn't found that yet. He was a coward just like everybody else. One denial under intense pressure that night. You know, we could probably excuse one denial, right? As a moral lapse, a moral failure. We could give, we could give someone one. But Peter did it over and over. Peter did it three times. Hey, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. That's doing what you want to do. Right? Do you love me more than these? Peter responds in this very abbreviated form. He didn't say, yes, Lord, I love you more than these. What's he say? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He's not groveling that he is humbled, right? It's as if Peter's replying, yes, I truly, I do truly love you, but I love you just like everyone else loves you. I truly do love you, Jesus, but I do not fully love you, Jesus. 
Jesus asked him two more times, do you love me? The third time, John records that Peter was grieved. The word that's used there in Greek is elupete. Elupete, which means sorrowful with pain. He's feeling something in his body. He's so sad. He's so grieved. Peter is experiencing a deep sadness that just completely undone, it just undoes him right here at this fire. It's very similar to the, the bitter weeping that he experienced after the third time that he denied Christ. Jesus is really taking him back to that, and he's experiencing that again. Is Jesus trying to inflict pain on Peter? Is Jesus trying to just heap more and more shame uh, upon uh, Peter for, for what he did? No. No, not at all. True healing requires us to face our devastation. We got to look at that. By faith, we got to face that. In order for this process of restoration to be more than mere like cosmetic surgery, in order for us to become truly a whole person, for us to be whole, wholehearted people, we must work back through the relationships that were ruptured to the level that they were ruptured. And that's why this isn't quick work. Why do we need to do that? Why do that? Here's why. Because the reality is that shame deeply embeds itself inside of us. And shame, it'll break out when we feel stressed or break out when we feel threatened by something or someone. And that's why that stuff pops up in your life. And you're like, what what was that all about? That's what that's about. We didn't deal with it. It was way down there. And this brought that up. I mean, just how about this? Imagine this scenario. Imagine Peter taking on the new work that Jesus gave him, and he takes that work seriously. Like he goes, okay, I'll go feed your lambs. I'll, you told me to do it. I got a call. I'll go do that. Now imagine him feeding Christ's uh, lamb. He goes out to do that very thing. He's going to explain to people what following Jesus means. He's going to be an elder, a pastor. Now, I want you to imagine him providing this spiritual nourishment, explaining the scriptures, teaching people how to pray, doing communion with them, telling them how to follow Jesus, and somebody in the group pipes up and says, Hey, aren't you Peter? Aren't you that guy? That guy... I heard about that guy that totally disowned Jesus the Christ three times. Look, why should I be listening to you? Why should you be my shepherd? Why should I listen to you teaching me how to faithfully follow Jesus? Imagine the first time that happened to him. Maybe not a week, maybe not a month down the road, but that eventually is going to happen. And the first time that that happens to Peter, that deeply buried shame gets exposed to the light. It gets brought to the surface. Why? Because it was not looked at and it was not worked through in a safe environment with Jesus. We remember. See, Jesus wants us to be totally whole people. The word for the Bible in the Bible is wholeheartedness. And Jesus will not leave any stone unturned. And that's not because he wants to add to our shame. It's because that's how he removes it. 
He wants to remove it. Please hear how God calls out to his failed people, his disobedient people. There is both a tenderness and a call to honestly look at what we have done. Isaiah 43, he says, fear not. This is the first, that's how he starts. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Then he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. He said, let's go. See, God says, look, you are mine. I'm not pushing away from the table when I see the stuff you did. I'm not pushing away from the table. You are mine. I've redeemed you. I loved you. And I want you to know that first. Now, now that that my love has been established for you, try to prove yourself right. Try to prove that what you did was right. In other words, walk me back through step by step what you did. Not so that I can get a better understanding of why, but so that you can get a better understanding of why you did that. That's how I'll redeem you. That is how I will restore you to health. We have to look bravely at the devastation that our failure has caused real people around us, people that are image bearers. We also have to bravely look at the devastation that it caused us. We have to say, hey, it fractured us. Fractured me. I'm not gutting this out anymore. I can't handle one more thing. Probably I'll say that. We gotta we gotta say it fractured them. They're not being too sensitive. They're being a human, and I hurt them. Right? We've got to call it by its right name so that it doesn't own us anymore. So we're not afraid of someone finding out about it later. That's how we get free. We must be able to say, yes, that, that, that thing that came to the surface, Jesus, that you brought, that is why I'm out here fishing all night. That's why I'm out here fishing. That thing that you talked about, that you brought up, that is why I've gone back to all the things that were familiar to me. Because at least I can I can control some of that. I know that. that. But that's why I'm doing that. That thing, that is why I'm hiding back in the shadows. What I did, it's devastated me. And I'm going bra- to say that. I'm going to bravely admit that. Peter finally does. He says it this way. Lord, <laughs> you know everything. You know everything. You know that I do love you. And you know... At the same time that my love for you is uneven, incomplete, proud, impatient, insists on its own way, and wholly unreliable. And both those things are true. And you know that it grieves me deeply that I love you like that. That's what they finally get down to. That is what doing the honest work of restoration looks like. And that's kind of what it sounds like. And that's what Jesus is inviting you into right now, today, not someday, 
The invitation is for today. So why put it off? And see, when we do dare to face our devastation, Jesus doesn't push away from the table. He didn't go, ew, gross. No, you were better than that. That's not what he does, right? Jesus stays. Jesus stays. He didn't walk off and leave us in this like uncovered wrong nerve that's been exposed. And go just sit in that. Mm -mm, that's not Jesus. He didn't leave that as a final chapter of our life. Any good? Any good? He's all the way good. Jesus rewrites our story. Because, you know, up until that point, we're just telling ourselves stories about ourselves over and over and over. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to write a new story. That's what Easter, part of what Easter is about. Jesus is going to write a new story for your life if you let him. If you answer the invitation, he'll do a real work. Restoration means this, that Jesus rewrites our story. Hallelujah. Jesus rewrites our story. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. And three times Peter says, yes, I love you. And after each time Peter confesses that he loves Jesus, Jesus gives him a new work to do. Isn't that neat? It says, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep, right? Now let me ask you a question. What's the most precious thing in the world to Jesus? Well, it's obviously not his own wife. He's proved that. It's his followers. It's his church. It's his peeps. It's his sheep, right? That's the most valuable, precious thing in the world of Jesus. And Jesus hands over the responsibility of feeding his precious lambs to who? Peter? Wow. Right? Amen? Wow. And that's putting it mildly. Jesus says, I want you. Yes, you. To nurture, to pastorally care for my most prized possession. Wow. Who is this guy? Who does that? Jesus rewrites the second half of Peter's life by giving him a new work to do. Not fishing, but now feeding others. Not drying nets, but tending sheep. I invited you into this healing process. We did this work together on your shame, and we did the work on your failure, and now I'm giving you a different work, a new work to do in my name. Guys, because Jesus has risen from death, death is not the last word in your life. Hallelujah. Because Jesus has risen from death, our failure isn't final. Our story does not end where life blew up into shrapnel. That's not where our life is because Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has a new and maybe even a very different work for us to do going forward. So let me ask you the question, what work, what new work is Jesus giving for you to do? And I'm being very broad when I say work. Okay, what is this new work that maybe Jesus is giving for you to do at this, this time in your life right now? 
It doesn't have to be an entire career change. I mean, it doesn't even have to be pastoral work, by the way. I'm just asking the question, so we'll think about it. You know, it might just be picking up painting. That might be a new work that he wants you to start doing for reasons that only he has. It might be wood carving. It might be volunteering down the coffee oasis occasionally. You know, it might be learning how to cook. Might be learning a new language. Might be returning to school. Listen, restoration always leads to something beautiful. And often it's something we thought we never would be able to do. Restoration not only gives us a new work, but it also gives us a new way, a new way in seeing our life. Jesus completely reframes Peter's way of looking at his life right now. Check this out, verse 19. It's a parenthetical statement that John writes. So it, it kind of comes off like it's a throwaway statement. It's not a throwaway statement. It's the word of God. So listen to this. He sent us to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. He was to glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said, follow me. Right? Form a line on me. <laughs> Jesus tells Peter, he's going to glorify God with his life. He's going to glorify God with his life and his death. Like the whole thing. Wow. Like the very person who brought shame and dishonor to the name of Jesus. Like it got written down forever in a book. That guy. <laughs> like, we're not going to pass over this. That's the guy Jesus wants to use to bring him glory and him honor and him praise forever. He said, you're going to, I'm going to use you to bring me glory. Listen, that's the rest of Peter's story. This is why Peter could later write to the people in this church these words with such confidence. Check out 1 Peter 5. He says, And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, has called you to what? His eternal glory. He's talking about what he knows about. He's you understand what I'm saying? He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You. Do you think Peter knows what he's talking about? Do you think we could take it on good authority? I think so. See, because Jesus has bodily risen from the dead, your failure, it isn't fatal. Happy Easter, right? Because Jesus is alive, your failure is not the final word in the story of your life. Happy Resurrection Day. Christ himself, Christ himself will rewrite a beautiful ending to your life. Vedran Shmelovic was the principal cellist for the Sarajevo Opera. There he is right there. He lived in Sarajevo when the siege of the city began in April 1992. 
Armed forces of the Bosnian Serbs shelled the capital city and snipers murdered unarmed civilians in the street. The siege would last nearly four years. But on May 27, 1992, an artillery shell exploded in the front of a bakery while people were lining up just to get bread for the day. 22 people were killed. 22 civilians were killed. More than 100 others were mortally injured. And you know what happened the next day? The next day, Shmelevic did the only thing that a cellist could possibly do. He made music. He made music. Dressed from head to toe in his formal wear for a classical concert, he carried his cello down into the bomb crater where people had died the previous day. And he calmly got out his bow and sat up on his stool and he just calmly began to play Adagio in G minor. And he played it to the abandoned, destroyed streets. He played it to the snipers that were looking at him right through their scopes as the shells continued to explode all around him. A cellist went into a war zone. A cellist, unarmed, went in not with a gun, but with an instrument of beauty and music. Just think about that. Smelovic repeated that performance in the square, in the bomb crater, every day for 22 days. One performance for every person who lost their life for 22 consecutive days. At the risk of his own life, Shmelovich, his response to evil, his response to evil was what? To make beauty. His response to decreating is creating. Family, that is what resurrected Jesus wants to do for you. That's a picture of what he wants to do for you. Yes, you. Not someone out there somewhere. You. Jesus, Jesus wants to climb down into the bomb crater of your life where there's been savage denial, savage betrayal, and traumatic failure and destruction. And Jesus wants to create beauty, and he wants to create it right there, right there, not near it, right in it. Dr. Kurt Thompson is a psychiatrist who often says this, quote, despite what evil would have us believe, the gospel tells us that beauty is coming for us. 
That beauty is coming for us. See, the very same spirit that resurrected the broken body of Jesus goes right into the places where we are most broken up and makes music. It makes art. It makes beauty. He slowly makes us whole by giving us a new work to participate in and by giving us a new way in seeing our future. I want you to listen what Peter later wrote about what he experienced on the shore at that breakfast with Jesus. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused he has caused us to be born again born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead here is the gospel brothers and sisters death will give way to life devastation will give way to restoration shame will give way to glory and honor brokenness will give way to wholeness because beauty is coming for us so says the one that rose from the dead now follow him follow him I love you guys. Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, who's risen from death, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have come not only to wipe away our sin, but also replace our shame and to make us whole. And so I pray that this good news we get past all the lies we hear, all the fake stories we tell ourselves, and we get past all of our defenses and just worm its way down into our soul. Help us believe. Grant us faith to believe. And start this process of restoration. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.